Welcome to First Baptist Church. You're listening to the preaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead. Please check us out on the internet at fbcboron.org. Luke chapter 17, beginning at verse 11. And the word of the Sovereign Lord reads, On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourself to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. This is the word of the Lord. An unknown author once wrote, The things that we take for granted are dreams to many people. Well, I want to welcome you back to our, our third and final part of our series titled, Give Thanks with a Grateful Heart. And Thanksgiving is once again upon us. And this week we're going to all go our own direction. And we will spend time with our individual families and we will celebrate this American holiday in our own unique and special ways. Many of us may travel to see family members. Some of us will stay home and cook. Most of us, for most of us, there will be a big meal that involves a turkey and all the trimmings and there will probably be some football. I know at our house there will be. And laughter and perhaps the sound of someone snoring as our family members succumb to the effects of tryptophan. Some of us will spend quiet time with those that we love. Some of us will be going to places that are a little bit more rambunctious. For some, there will be polite political discourse as families talk about current events. For others, there will be full-blown arguments and insults hurled, depending if you're red or blue. But regardless of your family tradition around this holiday, ultimately it's about taking some time and giving thanks to God for what He has done. That is what Thanksgiving is about, and it has been for the beginning. Or at least this is what it's supposed to be. Because the truth is, giving thanks to God is an important part of all of our lives. The idea of gratitude and expressing that gratitude by giving thanks to God is a vitally important part of our lives, especially for those of us who are found in Christ. You and I, as we've said multiple times, have so much to be thankful for. The fact that we are all alive and breathing in this moment is reason to be thankful. Today, in light of yesterday, I am grateful to God that my children are alive. You ought to be as well. The fact that we are able to be here this morning, again, in a place that belongs to this church family out in the public, out in the open, without us being afraid of 
of being arrested or killed is another reason to be thankful. The fact that there is still plenty of food to eat and we have clothes to wear and that there is electricity and gas in our homes, that we have warm beds and warm blankets and my wife loves heating blankets. There are many, many reasons for us to be thankful for, not to mention the fact that God, what he has done for us through Christ Jesus. So you and I have a lot to celebrate this Thanksgiving. You and I have so many reasons to come before God and to say thank you. And as we have talked about for the last two weeks, to the degree in which you daily live in gratitude and practice thanksgiving towards God tells the world a lot about who you really are as a person and as a follower of Christ. And it tells a lot about the condition that your heart is in. And we've been talking about there's three basic ways that it does so. Number one, your gratitude level says a lot about your spiritual health because those who have a vibrant, healthy spiritual life tend to be the people who are grateful towards God. And those who don't have a healthy spiritual life tend to be the ones that aren't grateful. Secondly, the level of your gratitude that you have towards God in your life is a good indication of your ability to stand firm against sin and temptation. As we talked about last week, those who walk in continual gratitude before God, those who are conscious and mindful of all that God has done for them tend to be more obedient. While on the other hand, those who live lives that are not marked by gratitude tend to become inwardly focused and self-absorbed, and they tend then to drift away from obedience. Your attitude of gratitude or ingratitude is a good indication of your ability to resist or some succumb to temptation. Now this week, we're wrapping things up, and we're going to talk about the third important issue related to gratitude, and that is your gratitude towards God says a lot about what kind of life that is in you. Because the state of who you are inside always impacts what you do on the outside. Jesus says in Luke chapter 6, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And what I'm saying is your gratitude level says a lot about who you are inside, which is, which is reflected by how you live outside. And what I mean by that is people who tend to be grateful tend to be filled with light and hope. They tend to be gracious and forgiving and life-giving. But those who are not grateful tend to be dark and pessimistic and grumpy and life-consuming. They tend to be negative and condemning. They tend to be unforgiving and even demanding. And we all know people like that. We as Christians know people like that, people who are sarcastic and, and judgmental and ungracious. Ungrateful people tend to be life-consuming. Grateful people tend to be life-giving. And that's where we're going to spend our time today. We're going, to, we're going to, this morning, look at a few different stories from the Scriptures to illustrate this principle. And the first story is found in Numbers chapter 14. So turn with me there. Now, as you're turning, and before we get right in the text, I want to kind of just, again, set things up for you. And if you remember, this is the, one of the stories we touched on last week, right? As you may remember, God leads Israel to the edge of the promised land, and God has personally led these people to this place, and He is taking care of all of their needs all the way. 
Not to mention he's rescued them from Egypt and helped them to cross the Red Sea and he's performed miracle after miracle after miracle proving to these people that he is with them and that he's for them. And now they've come to the edge of the promised land, but the people refuse to go in. They refuse because of 12 spies. 12 spies go in to check things out and 10 of these men come back and they say, this is too scary. Those people are, are too big for us to drive us out. And so these people get very nervous, even though that two of them, two of the most reputable men said, we can take these people. It didn't matter. These people lose their nerve and they rebel against God. Let me read in verse one. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry and the people wept that night and all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. Haven't you ever noticed how ungrateful people tend to be people that grumble a lot? They tend to be negative. They tend to complain and gripe and, right, grumpy. Ungrateful people tend to be cynical and find fault. And gratitude makes people extremely grumpy. It says, then all the congregation raised a loud cry and the people wept that night and all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, would that we had died in the land of Egypt or would that we have died in the wilderness? Why is the Lord bringing us into the land to fall by the sword? Our wives and little ones would become prey. Would it, be, would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, let us choose a leader to go back to Egypt. Again, this is, it's important we hear what they're saying. They're asking to go back to a place of darkness, back into slavery, back into bondage. Bondage. Why? Because they're ungrateful. They've lost sight of all that God has done for them to the point that they want to go back to what is familiar to them, which is bondage. Ingratitude blinds us to the kindness that God has shown us. It makes us inwardly focused. And these people are so inwardly focused and ungrateful that, that now they've become self-destructive. They want to take everything that has been accomplished and all that's been done for them and all the time and energy that was spent to get them to the edge of the promised land and just take it and throw it away. Their families have been enslaved for four hundred years they were persecuted and hated by the egyptians they were forced to work and the government even murdered their male children in fact that's how moses' story begins if you remember his mother rescues him from death by putting him in a basket and he floats down the river all the way to pharaoh's daughter and he's raised by the egyptians for 400 years, they've been mistreated and hated and beaten. And all they heard about from the time they were little kids is one day, one day, God is going to send someone and deliver us and set us free and we will get to enter into the promised land, the land that God promised our fathers. One day, God's going to keep His promise and make good on His promise. And here they are, standing at the brink of all of their hopes and dreams coming true, and they refuse to go 
because they fear what's there. Their fear becomes greater than their faith. You see, ingratitude tends to erode our faith because we take our eyes off of God and we take our eyes off of what He has done and we put our eyes on our circumstances and we forget about the fact that God is faithful. That's what happened here. Their ingratitude for God's goodness was eroded. their, Their ingratitude for God's goodness had eroded their faith to the point that their fear caused them to not go into the promised land, but instead they wanted to go back into slavery. What kind of madness is this? It's ingratitude. And it's so very destructive. It says, Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before the assembly of all the congregation of the people of Israel, and Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who spied out the land, tore their clothes, and they said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, the land which we pass through to spy it out is exceedingly good if the Lord delights in us. And obviously He delights in us because of all He's done for us. If the Lord delights in us, He will bring us into the land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bread for us. Their protection is removed from them and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Moses, Aaron, Caleb, Joshua, some of the most influential people in Israel, all understand what's at stake here. They know what's happening. They see this ingratitude eroding these people's confidence, eroding their faith in God. And and they, they know that it has blinded these people to God's goodness and faithfulness, and it's threatening the dream of all that God had promised them. And so they're begging these people not to allow their ingratitude to cause them to rebel against God, right? And then it says, and then all the congregation said to stone them with stones. Not only do these people refuse to go inside, they decide... We just need to kill these guys. Ingratitude only makes us self-destructive. It makes us destructive towards others as well, even those who love us, to the point that people will throw everything away. But the glory of the Lord appears in the tent of the meeting to all the people. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will this people despise me? How long will they not believe in me in spite of all the signs? that I've done among them. God makes it clear that He has has given them ample evidence of His kindness toward these people. He has done enough for them to earn their trust, even though they don't deserve it. So what else do I have to do? Do I have to prove this to them? What else do I have to do to make them believe? What else do I have to do to make these, these people grateful enough that they'll trust me and follow me? This ingratitude made them blind and negative and bitter and grumpy, and it made them self-destructive and violent toward their leaders. And now God threatens to punish them. He said in verse 12, I will strike them with pestilence and disinherit them, and I will make you, talking to Moses, I'll make you a nation greater and mightier than they. But Moses interceded as he so often has done, and he begs God, not to destroy the people of Israel. And God, in His mercy, doesn't give the Israelites what they they deserve. 
He doesn't give them the full weights of, of their punishment for what they deserve, but instead, he does still punish them. As we read, beginning in verse 20, Then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word. He doesn't kill them. He doesn't disinherit them, right? But truly as I live, as all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord, none of these men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and yet have put me to the test these ten times and have not obeyed me shall see the land I swore to give to their fathers. And none of these despised will, shall see it. But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit and followed me fully, I will bring into the land into which he went, and his descendants shall possess it. Now, since the Amalekites and the Canaanites dwell in the valley, turn tomorrow and set out for the wilderness by the, red, by the way of the Red Sea. God says, fine, <laughs> turn around because you're not going in. And the Lord spoke to Moses and said to Aaron, How long shall this wicked congregation grumble against me? I've heard their grumblings of these people of Israel, which they grumble against me. Again, ungrateful people grumble. Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord, what you have said in my hearing I will do. And what they said was, it'd be better for us to die in the wilderness. So he says, your dead bodies shall fall in the wilderness and all of your numbers listed in the census from 20 years old and upward who have grumbled against me. Not one of them shall come into the land where I swore that I would make you dwell except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh and Joshua, the son of Nun. The thing that we need to understand here is their ingratitude was life-consuming. God may not have killed them there, but ultimately they still lost everything. They were on the verge of gaining all their hopes and dreams. They, right, and now they will spend the rest of their life knowing, knowing that they will never, ever get it. And understand what the cost is here. It's 40 years. 40 years is the cost. An entire generation will die in the deserts. But more than that, their children and grandchildren also lose 40 years. It's not just the ones that died in the desert that lost out. Right? Right? They, these children and grandchildren lost 40 years of living in prosperity. They lost 40 years of growing up where things are good. 40 years of having a permanent home. 40 years of their lives wasted because of the ingratitude. And that's not all. Caleb and Joshua also lost 40 years. They didn't even do anything wrong. Right? They already, they're already grown men at this time, and they're at the prime of their lives. But because of the ingratitude of everyone else, they're going to lose 40 years as well. 40 years of wandering around, waiting for these ungrateful people to die off, knowing it's because of them. But you know who lost the most? Moses did. <laughs> because Moses never got to enter the promised land. He was the instrument that God used to, to lead them out of Egypt. Right? But he didn't get to enter the promised land. In fact, he's 80 years at this point, 80 years old at this point. And, and during the next 40 years wandering the desert, Moses is going to get so fed up and provoked at these people that he actually disobeys God and gets disqualified from entering the promised land. All he's going to do is be able to stand on a mountaintop and get to see inside, but that's as close as he ever gets. 
You see, ingratitude is destructive and life-consuming, but not just for the people who are ungrateful. It's consuming for everyone else around them as well. Everyone around them is affected by it. And it's the same for us. If we're ungrateful towards God, we become inwardly focused and become negative and dark and life-consuming. It affects everyone around us. It affects your spouse. It affects your children. It affects your parents, your coworkers, your church family, your entire community. The negative effects of ingratitude ripple all the way around the world. Your grumpy negative attitude and the consequences of that ingratitude affects everyone around you. Now, it might not cost you 40 years of your life wandering the desert, but it's still destructive nonetheless. Well, now now that we've seen what the life of of ingratitude looks like, let's let's look at what, what it looks like for those who are grateful. Again, turn with me to Luke 17. It's a wonderful story, by the way. In verse 11, it says, On the way to Jerusalem, he spent, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee, talking about Jesus, and he entered a village. He was met by 10 lepers who stood at a distance. Why did they stand at a distance? Because it was the law, because leprosy was horrifically contagious. And they were required by law to announce that they were lepers and that and they were to to, they were to tell people, stay away from me, right? So they lifted their voices, they stood at a distance, and they lifted their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now, he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And then he said to him, rise your, and go your, go your way. Your faith has made you well. What we see here in this story is one man is moved to gratitude for what Jesus had done. Jesus healed these 10 men from an incurable disease, a disease that is horrific, a disease that that made them outcasts in society, a disease that ruled their entire life. Being a leper was was a horrible existence, one of loneliness and despair, because there was no hope of getting over it. And Jesus, out of His grace, heals these 10 men, and one of them was so moved by this kindness that he had to express his gratitude. Notice it says, Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. What you and I need to see is gratitude is the foundation of worship. Because true gratitude towards God always leads to worship. Those who understand the kindness that God has given them invariably are moved to be thankful towards God and that thankfulness springs forth in worship of God. Worship is the natural byproduct of our gratitude. In fact, I would say that you, couldn't, you cannot truly worship God without gratitude because the foundation of our worship 
of God is a truth of who He is. And in light of who He is, what He has done for us, the kindness that He has given us. And here's the thing that you and I need to understand. The quality of your worship is directly related to the level of gratitude you have for God. I'm going to say that again. The quality of your worship is directly related to the level of gratitude you have for God. Which means the quality of your worship ultimately has nothing to do with the songs that we sing on Sunday morning. The quality of your worship has nothing to do with how good the musicians play on Sunday morning. The quality of your worship has nothing to do with how people around you sing on key or out of key. The quality of your worship has nothing to do with the text that's being preached on. The quality of your worship has nothing to do with how comfortable you are in your chair. The quality of your worship has nothing to do with whether or not people remembered your birthday or whether or not you feel appreciated for what you do or you had the right people come talk to you and say hi. The quality of your worship that you give to God is directly related to your gratitude for God. I once had someone say to me that they were bored on our, by our Sunday morning worship services. And my response was very simple. That sounds like a you problem. And I meant it. I wasn't trying to be snarky or mean, but I meant it. There's only one person that we seek to please by our worship service here at First Baptist Church. That's Him. And everything we do here, from the prayers that we offer, to the call to worship, to the singing of songs, to the reading of, and, and the preaching of God's Word, to giving to the service of all the people who do different things and perform different functions in this church so that the church runs. All of that is aimed at glorifying Him. It's aimed at magnifying Christ. It is aimed at worshiping God for what He has done for us. Because worship's about Him, not our subjective feelings. And the quality of our worship, hear me, church family, the quality of our worship that we experience, that we feel, right? The worship that we give to Him is directly related to the gratitude that we feel toward Him. And so if you're continually mindful of God's grace and goodness, your worship will be fresh and it will be sweet and it will satisfy your soul. But if you become less focused on God's goodness and more on yourself and your own preferences and your own wants and your own agenda, your worship will begin to feel stale and lifeless and vain. Gratitude towards God, even in the hardest of times, leads to worship. And we see that throughout this, the, the entire Bible and the Old Testament and the New Testament. Right? Elisha heals Naaman, a man who's not even a believer. Right? Heals him, and what does he do? He immediately gives praise to God. What about uh, Nebuchadnezzar? Punished by God. Punished by God for his pride and then restored back to to sanity and to his position. And what does he do? He praises God for it. How about the demoniac 
where Christ freed him from a legion of demons. What did he immediately want to do? Follow Jesus wherever he went. And we see it time and time and time and time again. A myriad of people who are healed by Christ. Their gratitude moves them to worship God. And gratitude not only makes us and brings us to the place of worship, it also makes us gracious and merciful towards other people. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 50, beginning in verse 15. Genesis 50, verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him. And we remember this story. We know what's happening here, right? Joseph's brothers hated him, hated him, hated him, hated him. And when they got the opportunity, they sold him into slavery in Egypt and let his father believe that he was killed by animals. And not only did that happen, but Joseph as a slave, he worked hard and became an important man in Potiphar's house only to have Potiphar's wife accuse him of rape, and then he's thrown into prison. And then he spends several years there. But then God, by his sovereign hand, uh, Joseph interprets Pharaoh's dream, and then God, um, God helps him to helps the nation to avert famine, and Joseph was lifted out of prison and made the second most powerful person in Egypt. And because of that, and because of the famine, Joseph's brothers come to Egypt to buy food, and guess who it is they get to run into? Joseph. But Joseph doesn't exact his revenge on them. Instead, he ends up revealing who he is, and, and he has them and the whole family, including his dad, brought to Egypt so he could take care of them. And Joseph provides homes for them, and provides for their living for the entire family. And he was gracious to them. And then one day, Israel, Joseph's dad, dies, and the brothers are worried, right, that Joseph will now exact their, his revenge. Right? Now that dad is gone, there's no one standing in the way for Joseph settling the score and killing us. They must have, well, obviously they didn't watch The Godfather, but that's how The Godfather works out, right? So it says in, in, in verse 16, so they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you were to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sin and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended me harm, but God intended it for good to accomplish what has been now being done, the saving of many lives. So, so then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Just think about this. Joseph had no human reason to be gracious to his brothers. I mean, if you're going to look at the way that humans think and the way that humans deal with things, he had no reason to. His brothers hurt him badly. They caused him great pain and turmoil in his life. It's only a few 
verses long in the Bible, we're talking about a lifetime of pain. They not only hated and rejected him, but they stole years of his life with his beloved father. They stole years away from him and his baby brother, who he loved very much. And then, if that weren't bad enough, they sold him into slavery. And the thing that we need to keep in mind is that, is that he may have rose to power in Potiphar's home, right? Which took years. If you have to, you understand that he probably was on the bottom rung, which means he probably had to suffer mistreatment and forced labor, not to mention the loneliness of being away from everyone you ever knew. And then sent to prison. And yes, in prison, he did rise to some importance as inmates go, but he still had to suffer. Because, because how do inmates treat other inmates? Not to mention being a foreigner who was accused of raping a man of importance, I mean, I mean, accused of raping a, the wife of a man who was important. That means the people you know, in the government and his captors didn't have much love for him. So he spent years proving his worth and earning respect. Joseph suffered greatly for years because of his brothers. And so they, so he had every human right to settle accounts with his brothers the way they did in The Godfather. But he doesn't. Why? It's because, is it because they deserved his mercy and forgiveness because of their blood relationship? Because they were blood? No. Is it because they made up for it by being really good to him and, and buying him lots of expensive gifts? No. It was because he understood that God was good and that God used his pain and suffering to work kindness for Joseph and for other people. Again, look what he says. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. This includes Joseph's dad and his brothers and nieces and nephews. God used the trials and difficulties in his life and brought, that was brought about by his brothers to work out good for Joseph and his entire family and many other people, millions of people. And because of that, Joseph was grateful to God. He was grateful to God for everything, the good and the bad. He was grateful to God for his insearchable kindness in using his circumstances, the tough ones and the good ones, to do so much good for so many people. Joseph was grateful to God and that gratitude overflowed in his relationships to other people, including his brothers. His gratitude towards God made him gracious and merciful and loving and life-giving to those who wronged him and hurt so deeply. By the way, that's how you change the world, right? Not repaying evil for evil, right? By being, grateful, by being grateful to God and allowing that to shape us so we can be gracious and loving and merciful to others. And notice it says, Joseph said to them, don't be afraid, I'm in the place of God. You intended me harm, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid, I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Joseph was mindful of God's kindness, even though the difficult trials of his life, and that produced in him a grateful heart. This grateful heart spills out on everyone else around him, revealing the life that he had in him, the light of God that was in him. 
Contrast this with the family of, of his father Israel, the Israelites, right? The Israelites in Numbers chapter 21, right? We find that God's discipline of the nation of Israel for their refusal to enter the promised land hasn't changed their attitude of ingratitude. In fact, it seems like they're getting worse. In fact, look with me to Numbers chapter 21, beginning in verse 4, it says, From Mount Hor, they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom, and the people became impatient. Ungrateful people tend to be impatient. They became impatient on the way, and the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? Because you wouldn't go in the promised land, I guess, you know. There is no food, no water, and we loathe this worthless food. I mean, these people simply just don't understand. They're so blind by their ingratitude. God rescued them, led them, provided for their every need, takes them to the edge of the promised land. He's about to give them. They refuse to enter. He could have killed them for that, but he doesn't. He spares their lives and gives them more than they deserve, but then he still continues to lead them. He still continues to provide for them. And what do they do? All they can do is gripe. All they can do is complain. And look what it says. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? Because slavery is better than being free? And then he said, for there is no food or water, even though that God has continually provided for those things. And, and notice what they say, we loathe, we loathe this worthless food. Spoken like a true ingrate, right? Worthless food, right? This is the, the food that shows up miraculously every single morning, out of nowhere. Food that costs them nothing. Food they don't have to work for. Food they don't have to labor for. They don't grow it, they don't plant it, they don't have to hunt for it. This food is provided for them every single day from the hand of God himself. And they say, this worthless food. This would actually be comical if it wasn't a true story. And the worst part is, you and I know people just like this. People who are so ungrateful. People who are so ungrateful to God. God has given them incredible gifts and they just despise them. I know people like this. You know people like this. And, and worst part is sometimes we might even be like this. But the kind, this, kind of this kind of ingratitude is so destructive. And it affects everyone because notice what happens. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people and they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. Now, I know this is extreme an extreme example of ingratitude and how it's destructive and life-consuming. But, but ingratitude does lead to negative consequences for the ingrate and those that are around them. And it might not end up being, you know, the snake infestations in our lives, but we still do suffer the consequences of that ingratitude nonetheless. Remember Paul said in Galatians chapter 6, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. We, for whatever one sows, that he will reap. The reality is 
We live in a world where our actions and attitudes have consequences. And it is the same with our gratitude towards God. Those who are grateful to God and walk in that gratitude tend to be life-giving and gracious, and their lives will bear the fruit of that. But those who are ungrateful will be negative and impatient and life-consuming, and their lives bear the fruit of that as well. And what we see then is that, that living in gratitude towards God not only glorifies God, but it actually is what's best for us. I don't know if you realize that. We live, when we live life centered on God and His goodness, when we are mindful of God's kindness to the point that it influences how we worship and live, it glorifies God. That kind of life ultimately is what's best for us. Which helps us to understand that, that what brings glory to God ultimately is what's best for us. That's why our catechism says what? The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Because the thing that brings God glory ultimately works out for our good. And that's why gratitude is so important. Gratitude glorifies God and is good for us and everyone around us, while ingratitude robs God of His glory and is destructive and brings pain and death. Again, we reap what we sow. Now with that, let's remember we have every reason this Thanksgiving to be grateful, especially for the fact that God is good to us and kind to us, even, even when we're at our worst, even when we're ungrateful. In fact, I want you to notice verse 7 here. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned and we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that He... Take away the serpents from us. Right? Finally, there's a moment of clarity, and these people come face to face with their ingratitude has led them headlong into sin. Ingratitude is selfish and sinful. Right? Now, the, one of the most important parts of the story is the fact that God uses this particular moment to point them and us to the ultimate good and graciousness of God. Right? That God, even though these people are so ungrateful and spiteful, still has a plan ultimately to bring salvation. It says, So Moses prayed for the people, and the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent, set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. And then Moses made the bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent, serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. Now with that, that might seem like a strange story. And you might wonder, how does this, this have any connection to our gratitude towards God? Well, let me share you, with you a conversation that happens in John chapter 3. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you were a teacher come from God, for no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus said, answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time in his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. 
That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel what I said to you. You must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can this thing, th- these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel? Think about this. This is a man who knows the Scriptures. Are you a teacher of Israel, yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe me, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And then notice this. He points him to the Old Testament and Jesus says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, he's talking about this story right here in Exodus. I'm not Exodus, but Numbers. As Moses lifted up the serpent in, in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. God even uses the rebellion of these Israelites in His discipline of them to point to and foreshadow God's greatest act of grace. In light of that then, Jesus says, For God so loved the world. In spite of their brokenness, in spite of their rampant ingratitude, for God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. The thing that we need to keep in mind is God is continually good. Even when we are bitter and angry and ungrateful, God still extends mercy upon mercy upon mercy. Now, He may chastise us. He may punish us. But this story in the desert reminds us of the fact that even though we fail and even though we fall short, God's faithfulness doesn't come to an end. He is faithful, He loves us, and He is kind, and in His kindness... His kindness should lead us to repentance and gratitude. Now, ultimately, it's not about what you know. It's what you do with what you know. So what do we do with this knowledge as we approach this holiday of Thanksgiving? Well, first of all, if you're not in Christ, I would call you now to repent and leave the gospel. Jesus died for you. Jesus died so that you might live. You and your own rebellion and your ungratefulness towards God, even that is forgiven in Christ. So call on his name today and live. Repent and believe the gospel. And if you would like to know how to do that, come see me after the service. I'd be happy to talk with you about how you can have life today. But for the rest of us, your gratitude level tells a lot about your spiritual health, your your strength to fight off temptation, and your gratitude level exposes the kind of life that's in you. Are you grateful and life-giving? Are you ungrateful, grumpy, negative, and life-consuming? Right? Ingratitude is life-consuming and destructive. Not just for you, but for everyone else. So are you life-giving or life-consuming? Or put another way, do you bring life to your relationships or are you someone who sucks the life out of people around you? Your gratitude is a good indication either way. 
And Christian, you were called to be the light of the world. You were called to bring life to others. You were called to demonstrate the goodness and the kindness of God. And the only way that you and I can do that is to develop an intentional habit of daily gratitude before God. And so far, I've given you a couple of practical steps to do that. The first one we talked about is spending regular time devotionally with God in prayer and His Word. Secondly, every day, I ask you to think about something that you're grateful for, write that down, and spend time with God thanking Him for that. It's a great habit to develop. Third, I encourage you that when you were facing a decision or about to make a choice, is that you would pause long enough to ask yourself the question, in light of all that God has done for me, how can I honor Him? All right, well, this week I want to wrap up with, with something getting ready for, for Thanksgiving. This week, as you prepare to spend time with your family, however you do that, I want you to take time this week in your devotional time to pray to God a short, simple prayer. It's simply this, Lord, help me to walk in gratitude so I can bring life to those that I love. Right? Just, a, just a few simple words to humble yourself before the Lord every day between now and Thanksgiving. Lord, help me to walk in gratitude so that I can bring life to those that I love. Now hear me, I'm not offering you any magical formulas. Right? But what I am saying is if you become intentional in your walk with God, to walk in deep gratitude before Him every day, if you become intentional to focus on making sure you're remembering every day all the things that God has done for you, your life will change for the better, and it will impact the lives of those people that are around you. They will see it in you. So walk in gratitude, my brothers and sisters. God is worthy of that, and it honors Him, and ultimately, it's what's best for you and everyone around you. You've been listening to the preaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead, a production of First Baptist Church in Boron, California. Our website address is fbcboron.org. And would you please consider partnering with us financially as we work to share the hope and the gospel of Jesus Christ with our community and our world.